Welcome to the Reach Podcast with your pastor, Philip Jackson. We've been looking at at a couple of things here. One is uh, how God has put together His church and the accountability of the pastors. We've looked at how uh, we are how we're supposed to act in a multi generational church that we were connected um, in a community. And that doesn't mean that we're all in the same stage of life, and it's supposed to be that way. Um, last week, we talked about these generational differences and um, the relationship between older and younger believers and how they're supposed to grow in godliness, in discipleship. Um, tonight, we're going to look at the power of living differently. Paul's going to bring everything into focus in these verses, and he's going to point to the reason everything has to change and why everything has changed. Um, we're going to read these last couple of verses in chapter 2. Uh, we only have a couple of sermons left in this series when we make, as we finish our way through Titus. Um, but let me read this for us, starting in verse 11 of, of uh, Titus chapter 2. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good works. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now remember, Titus is a young guy. Titus is, a, is probably about your age. And he's been given the job of going to the island of Crete and establishing churches, not just building churches up, but also vetting and identifying who pastors and leaders should be in these churches. And um, I don't know why it's doing that. It's weird. Wow, this is kind of... Okay, we're good. All right, I want to make sure. Someone's up here. Today has been a wild day, so I, this doesn't surprise me. Um, but Titus is, uh, is a young guy. He's about, he's about your age, probably. He's been given the job of, of putting together these, these, the leadership of these churches and also trying to, to figure out how you, he can get multiple generations to work together, to be excited to live together and to, uh, to do ministry and not just, uh, not just come together and do church. That's not really how things worked back then. In the first century. In the first century, faith was a very personal, very practical thing that happened every moment of every day. And uh, there's some very, very rich truth that Paul points to in these last five verses of the second chapter of Titus. And um, the, the result of, of all these godly priorities in this community is that it displays heaven to the world around it. In other words, it's like... Uh, it's like a window. It's like a, a shop window, store window. If you're walking through the mall, I don't know if you guys ever go to the mall. That's, that was a thing back when I was in high school, um, long time ago. But uh, in the mall, they have these giant windows in front of every shop, right in front of every store, and they display their goods there. In a way, what happens is that uh, by living out this godly perspective, what happens is that God allows us to show people a glimpse into heaven. The Bible describes us as the first fruits of the kingdom of God. And um, all of this is important because it gets, it gets easy for us to get caught up in all of the 
um, the monotony of life. Now, this first part, let's start with verse, with verse 11. Now, the verse 11 starts with uh, the power of grace. Grace is going to be a theme of our, of our lesson tonight. And if we're not careful, we blow right past it. Because we hear grace all the time, especially in church. Grace is awesome. Amazing grace. God has grace. God is grace. God loves grace. Grace is people. My sister. Um, the, uh, but if you've been in church for a long time, uh, grace is a word that is used a lot. And um, I want to focus on that word tonight because it's powerful. It's really powerful. One of the reasons why he says, uh, so, so look at how he starts here. He starts for. Now, your, your, your Bible might say because or uh, uh, in fact. This word actually is really important. We blow right past it. He, he has just finished detailing these first 10 verses of chapter 2 with the way that, that the internal structure of church life should be between old people and younger people, between people of the same age in our community. And he says, because of these things, because of these things, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. This word can also be translated because, or in fact, it is a, uh, an arrow that points forward. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, meaning God has brought salvation to the whole world and his people are his primary illustration of it. God uses the testimony of both the church collectively and individually to tell the story of redemption through grace to the world. We're transformed as we begin to understand what grace actually is. You see, when you first trust in Christ, you don't understand grace. You say, okay, well, well, I've done bad things. I'm a bad person. I'm a wicked person. God, God shows me that I am in contrast to him. I am not the same. And so therefore, something has to stand in the gap, has to fill the void between them. And that, that thing that fills the void is grace. Sure, God has paid the debt for my sin. I'm into heaven. Awesome. That didn't cost me anything. But the challenge is that the more that we learn about God, remember this, this, this book is not just a list of do's and don'ts. This is a list of the file, it's a file folder full of the, list, uh, the attributes of God. That as I begin to know who God is, I begin to notice that something in my life, a lot of things in my life, are not the same. The contrast grows more and more stark the more I learn about who He is, which means that grace is more and more necessary. There's a principle in the Bible that as we get older, we should grow in humility. And the reason why we grow in humility is because we begin to understand who exactly God is as His richness and His grace becomes more apparent to us. When we're young, we don't fully understand it. But if we make enough mistakes, we realize that we aren't actually the smartest person in the world. I had this grand idea when I was in my 20s that I was going to be so successful that I was going to retire by my 40th birthday. I just turned 37 last week, and I'm nowhere close. I had my mind thinking, you know what, all these old people, they've got all this, they've got all this wrong. It's not that hard, right? But the older I get, the more I realize that um, that's not the case. Life has a way of grinding the humility into you. God uses these testimonies of the church individually within ourselves and also corporately to tell a story. We're transformed as grace becomes more known to us. The process of redemption is pretty simple. Romans 10 tells us that a person is exposed to the truth through the presentation of God's grace. That God presents Himself to us in all of His, his majesty and all of His awe. 
and we begin to realize that we need what he has and who he is. So God presents himself, and even in that, that is an expression of grace. That he would go out of his way to tell us that we need him. God doesn't need to do that. Have you ever ever noticed that? That God did not actually have to come down and pay for our sins. He didn't have to tell us who he was. He could have just said it and forget it. But God, who is rich in mercy, decided to not let that happen. He went out of his way to show himself to us. That revelation shows both our depravity and also the lengths that God will go to save us from it. I want you to notice something here that our sinfulness and separation from God is never revealed without the context of His grace. Our sinfulness is never, ever made known to us without the context of His grace. God is not a God of condemnation without grace. It is always present. It always has been present. So even as he reveals himself, even as we are are shown the wickedness and the destructiveness of who we are, he is still expanding and showing his grace to us by elevating his nature. The Bible uses this message of sin only to bring God's grace into focus. Condemnation comes when our rebellion is revealed to us in the light of God's grace and we turn and we reject it. Romans chapter 1 says that, everyone is going to hear the the truth of who God is, that God has presented himself to all of creation in obvious ways. That means that God has gone out of his way to make sure that whether you are the smartest person in in the world or you are the dumbest person in the world, God is going to present himself to you. God goes out of his way to make sure that we know that he's gracious. Well, what about the, uh, the people in Africa? What about the people in the Amazon that never hear the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's actually written in Romans chapter 2 what happened to those people. That God has actually presented himself and made himself known in a different way to every single person. And they will be saved regardless of their exposure to Scripture. That God goes, he goes above and beyond to present himself to every single person, regardless of whether or not they read Scripture or not. Jesus is always the only way, always the only way to heaven. But God, who is rich in mercy and in grace, will always make himself known to every single person. That means that there is a significance to grace. That means that grace is actually the, the, the impetus to change. Grace is the catalyst. Grace is the spark that starts the fire. Grace is the thing that transforms everything. And if we fully understand grace, what happens is we fully begin to understand just how far we are from God. If we are casual in our opinion about forgiveness, what God has done for us, we don't understand grace. We don't understand what we were saved from. And so grace is the thing where everything starts. He says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Look at verse 12. Grace brings instruction. Verse 12 says, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires We should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. His grace is always instructing or disciplining us to push back against our sinful nature. It brings instruction. It teaches us. It cultivates in us a hunger and a desire for godly things. Grace is the thing that helps us have context to our lives. 
Without grace, we have no context. He says this same grace, it's always instructing us. It's pushing back against our sin. Our ability to fight our flesh comes from our grasp of grace. Have you ever thought about that? The grace is not something that, that is to be abused or taken advantage of. But it would only help us to, to, to know and understand what actually reality is. This is one of the reasons why Paul goes on to say that we work to deny ungodliness and worldly desires because they lose their appeal next to the sweetness of grace. As we begin to understand what grace actually is, what happens is that we lose the taste for these things that are bad for us. If you've ever taken a, uh, taken a challenge, a diet challenge, and focus on just eating healthy things, what begins to happen is that over time, you begin to acclimate a palate towards healthy things. When you try something that's nasty for you, you don't want it. There was a series of my life where I was very disciplined about my diet. I mean, very disciplined about my diet. And I stopped drinking Coca-Cola, my favorite drink in the world. And then after a series of time, I took a sip of Coke, right? And it was disgusting. Because my palate had been acclimated to the good thing. As we begin to understand what grace actually is, God actually cleanses our palate. And these worldly things, these ungodly things, the things that, that corrupt us, they lose their appeal. As we go, grow closer to Christ, as we begin to understand exactly what grace means, we begin to realize that all of these other things are empty. Drunkenness is empty. Sex is empty. Masturbation is empty. Pornography is empty. Relationships are empty. Everything is empty compared to the sweetness of grace. He says that we are also to live sensibly. This can also be translated as living a life that results in the benefit of someone to, uh, or to his cause. The idea is that to live sensibly as someone who is conscious that their life means something, that they're not just throwing it away. See, one of the things that, that's it's interesting is that the devil loves, we, we, in our generation, the big word, the big buzzword is trauma. Trauma. Oh, trauma is the best justification for any crap you want to do. You want to sleep around? My trauma. You want to hurt somebody? My trauma. You want to act out? My trauma. You want to, you want to do whatever you want, just label trauma. And everybody's like, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, man, that's really hard for you. To live sensibly means to live according to God's priorities. To focus on the bigger picture of our life. Have you ever thought that the reason why Satan loves to focus on your trauma is because he knows that if you live biblically, that you will walk in victory? That your trauma is not an excuse for hurting other people. It's actually how he, how, the, one of the weapons that he uses to bury the richness of grace in your life. Because if all you do is focus on all of the things that have been done to you or all the, all the wicked things that have gone on around you and you never embrace grace, what happens is this defines you. It poisons you from the inside out. What he's saying here is that those who are in Christ, who have, who have embraced this changing that comes from grace, they live sensibly. They think about the big picture. They, they begin to cultivate a palate of godliness. Remember, they have a strong spiritual immune system. Their goal of living sensibly naturally results in a desire to live righteously and godly in the present age. 
This word means to live as a model for others. The moral excellence of God is displayed through their life because they are focused on displaying His grace to the world around them. They are reflections of God to those around them. Grace is something that shines in you. Have you met those people who are confident? I'm not talking about proud. I'm talking about confident. They walk in a certainty. They walk with Jesus. You know this. They are dripping with righteousness. That when you see them, you know when you ask them to pray for you that they actually will. These people who have an honest, sincere desire to see you win and walk with God. This is an illustration of grace. One of my favorite people in the universe is my grandmother, Carol. If you ever meet her, she's a pistol, man. She will, she's pretty crazy sometimes. But the thing I love about my granny is that she's experienced grace. Talking about a woman who has made terrible mistakes that almost cost her her family. And yet she has a shine to her, not because she is so eloquent and so amazing, but because she is a woman who has experienced grace. This is what it means to be a child of heaven, to be a front window into the grace of God. This is the richness of what we are able to be a part of. The job of every believer is to stay focused on heavenly priorities. Paul uses the term present age to describe our current situation. The same age that he was talking about then is the age that we are living in now. This implies, that a te- this implies a temporary status. In the middle of the struggle, there is a temptation to grow weary. But we will, in the end, be victorious if we don't lose heart. Galatians 6.10 says, 7-10 through 10 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he will also reap. If he sows under the flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows under the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due time we will bear fruit if we do not lose heart. This struggle that we are under against our flesh, this is something that that we have to remember is a temporary situation. When I was younger, I was heavily involved in martial arts. Started at 16, worked my way up, eventually uh, earned a black belt and then a second degree. Um, Goodness, about 20 years ago. One of the elements of the martial arts, especially in the association that that I was involved with, is that whenever you would do a test, you would would go through your techniques, you go through all your board breaking, you do kata, uh, and then you would get to the, the, the fighting portion of your test. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Fresh man every two minutes for a certain amount of rounds. The thing that was significant was the last 30 seconds. You would start the fight and you would go for about a minute and a half. There would be breaks. The, the sensei would break you apart. The judge would break you apart. And you'd kind of be able to catch your breath a little bit. But the last 30 seconds, there were no breaks. He would call out, 30 seconds, no stops, everything you got, everything that you've got. Sometimes you'd end up on the floor. And I got to tell you what, there is nothing more exhausting than engaging every single muscle in your body trying to not be submitted. This is a picture of where we are right now. 30 seconds, 30 seconds, the present age. 
Show grace, live godly, walk justly, do not compromise, walk with integrity, be a man and a woman of God, be a son or a daughter of heaven, do not give up, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, keep going, keep going, don't stop fighting, don't stop fighting, don't stop fighting, hold your hands up, hold your hands up. This is an illustration of what he's talking about here. That as we live and we work towards godliness, we must always stay focused on looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like a fighter watching the clock, waiting, waiting for those last 10 seconds to count down. We're waiting for God to finally say, time! No more. No more fighting. No more struggle. No more trauma. No more hurt. No more revenge. No more malice, no more war, no more scheming. Time. It is over. This is a picture of what Paul is saying here. That we endure these things looking forward to the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our God and great Savior, Jesus Christ. Truth brings redemption. Look at this in verse 14. Talking about this great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. Grace does a work in our life. Grace brings instruction, it brings change, and it brings redemption. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. It's a human problem to race past the gift of Christ. So let me read that again. Look at this. Who gave himself for us. It's easy for us when we start reading about the gospel to jump to us, the me part. What has God done for me? How has God forgiven me? How is God redeeming me? How is God doing all these things for me? But God gave himself for us. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 5. Or, sorry, in, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the courses of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved, have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Jesus gave himself to redeem us. To redeem means to liberate by payment of ransom. You guys have probably seen ransom movies where somebody is taken captive by kidnappers and then they're, they're offered a price to pay for their freedom. This is an illustration of what God has done for us, that he has paid the price for our freedom. He has paid the ransom for us. 
But God gave himself to redeem us, to pay the ransom for us. We have been saved from a terrible future because of him in order to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. The reasons why we have been saved are pretty simple, lined out in this verse. To be purified from our sinful nature. What this means is to, be, is to be cleansed of everything ungodly in our lives. As Peter quotes in the Law of Moses in his letter, that we are to be holy as he is holy. That is set apart from the world and gradually conform to the nature of God. As we become more like Christ, we find out that we gradually stand in starker and starker contrast to the world. Here's a question for you to think about. When it comes to the ungodly things in our culture, do you feel at home? Do you feel comfortable swimming in our culture? Do you feel comfortable with the language that's used around you? I'm not talking about cursing. I'm talking about all of it. How we devalue a human life. How we trade godliness for cheap political points. Do you feel comfortable in the culture that we, that we live in? Do you feel comfortable talking about the latest episode of Game of Thrones more than you feel comfortable talking about Scripture? As we, as we naturally are purified from our sinful nature, what happens is that we become more and more irritating to the world around us, and so there will be persecution. He says that we are to be possessed by Jesus, just like a parent possesses their child. To be possessed by Jesus means to be his child and submissive to his parenting. He is a good father who knows how to give good things to his children. As his, as his child, we are to be subject to his correction and his love. To be his child means that we bear, will bear his likeness. The thing about this culture, okay, think about this. I want to be like Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus, right? He was kind. He was generous. He healed people. He fed people when they were hungry. Sounds great. He even turned water into wine one time at a party. Sounds like a great dude. How did the world respond to this perfect person who was kind and generous and loving and forgiving? They stripped him naked in the public square. Then they beat him within an inch of his life with a rod. And then they took a leather whip with shards of glass and bone and rock, and they ripped every shred of skin off of his body. And then they pulled the hair out of his head, and his beard. And then they took a crown of thorns that are about that long, and they shoved it on top of his head, deep into his scalp. Then they covered him in a, in, a, in a violet robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they waited just long enough for the blood that was soaking through the cloak to start to dry before they ripped it off of him and opened the wounds again. And then they gave him a cross that weighed about 50 pounds. And they made him carry it several miles, ridiculing, punching him, spitting on him. And then finally he was exhausted and they laid him down, put him on top of the cross, and they took nine-inch metal spikes and they drove them through each wrist carefully, carefully to make sure that they missed major arteries. They drove a nail in his feet and then they lifted up the cross, and he was naked, every part of his body exposed, both the outside of his skin and the inside of his skin. And they waited for him to die. 
You want to be like Jesus? Good luck. You want to be a person who makes a difference? Good luck. There is no way, no way on heaven or on earth that you can live like Jesus without an understanding of grace. We do not belong here. Who we are in Christ is not who we started out to be. And if we become closer and closer, more like him, we are going to bear his nature. We're going to bear his likeness. When people see us, it's going to be naturally provocative. You will not be comfortable in your work. And it's not because of your political positions. It's going to be because you look like Jesus. But look at this last thing, that we have been cultivated to eagerly live out the priorities of heaven, to be zealous for good works. To be eager for good works means that we, were, that we are purified and we gradually take on his character. We will grow more and more eager to live like he does. In other words, that we would be humble and that we would make ourselves small so that we could access the most amount of people. Your title does not matter. Your job does not matter. Who you're married to does not matter. What you do in life does not matter. The only thing that matters for you in your life is to be like Jesus. He takes a broken person and he transforms them into something completely new to look just like him. And he draws everyone's gaze to that person. We are eager to have the priorities of heaven. That's what it means to be zealous for good works. We are eager to serve others, to be kind to others. Much like the description of the godly elders that we saw back in Titus 2, 2 through 9. He's focused on the needs of others and not himself. He's proactive in his love and the expression of his grace. To be cultivated like Jesus means that we would take his priorities. But lastly, look at this. The truth, this, this truth that grace brings authority. Look at verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Take action with the message of grace, Titus. Speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. One of the things that I encounter a lot, especially with young pastors, including myself, is a timidity to not live the word. You know, it's one thing for me to get up here and to explain this and to lay out these verses. It's a whole other thing for me to live these things out sometimes. To be courageous, to step forward in obedience to what God's word says sometimes is uncomfortable. It stretches you. But he tells Titus, he says, speak and encourage others and rebuke them with all authority. It's through the bold expression of the gospel that people's lives are changed. And so when we speak about these things, there is no place for timidity. Apologizing for causing discomfort, this naturally makes us cringe at the sight of, true, of our true selves. The idea is that as we apply ourselves to God's word and as he begins to transform our lives through our understanding of grace, what happens is that we become bold. Have you ever been um, sick with something and you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a prescription and so you take the prescription and then your one of your friends comes down with the same thing? Do you go out of your way to not tell them what the doctor told you to get better? Absolutely not. You call them up and say, oh, this is what I did. I took this, 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 and this, right? We went through this with COVID. People got COVID and it's like, oh, we're sharing tips about how to get better with COVID, right? This is an illustration here. That if we know what the answer is, we should be bold in how we speak it. Paul tells Titus to speak with authority. This Greek word means 
to issue a command. Like a superior officer in the army passes a command from his general to their, to their men, there's no apologies for it. There is no statement of, of, hey, you know, I know the big guy doesn't really understand how this is going on, but this is kind of what we've got to do because he told us what to do it. It's an order that is transferred. I, have, I don't have any privilege at all. I just transfer the order. This is what we're doing. The commander says X. We're going to do X. Do we have that same mindset when it comes to God's word? When it comes to our, our understanding of grace? Do we speak the truth to each other or do we hold back because we're afraid of we're going to hurt each other's feelings? Paul understood that anytime we soften the word of God, we inject our sinfulness into the message. Titus would need to be led. He would need to lead. Understanding that he was a steward of God and held the authority of heaven when he spoke his word. Think about that. Okay, let's just take our friendships and set them to the side for a second. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your application to God's word. You're presented with a situation. I pretty much can guarantee that every single person in this room is going through something right now. Okay? So, question is, how often do we speak the truth to ourselves in Scripture? We may be ready to give our friends feedback, our friends advice, but how often do we say, absolutely not, God's word says this. I had, this, I had the same thing happen to me this summer when our air conditioner went out. Okay, Matthew 6, you don't pay your bills. Is that true or not true? Are you going to live this out or are you going to complain about it? We have to remember that when we speak, we, when we speak the Word of God, when we speak Scripture, we speak with authority. That means that we can't be timid about it, especially when we talk to ourselves. Titus would need to exhort or encourage believers to obey the commands of Scripture and to boldly rebuke anyone who tried to undermine the kingdom of God. Man, this can be a double-edged sword because, man, rebuking, man, there's a lot of church hurt wrapped up in that word. Everything has to be done by the Word. Everything has to be done by the Word. Titus's authority was not to be questioned because of his example. The verb translated to not disregard means to be dismissed. Okay, think about it this way. It's in the discipline of godly living that we find our credibility and the ability to communicate God's word without poisoning it with our ungodly perspective. If we live according to God's word, what happens is that that will automatically give us credibility. If you were going to choose which side to be on, I would challenge you to be on God's side because there's no other side to be on that's victorious. Here's what I think that, that, that you need to take away from this. Grace changes everything. And the more we understand it, the more we will, we will understand who God is. Now, it could be that you have, you've heard this, you know, a million times, and you're like, okay, yeah, great, yeah, God died for me, Jesus died for me, that's awesome, whatever. You don't understand grace. You don't. And if you're casual with the idea that God died for you and you don't care about it, that means that your heart does not belong to Him. That means that there is no understanding in your life of what God actually did or who God actually is. I'm telling you right now that you are headed for a dangerous place. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you do not understand grace, if you are dismissive of grace, that means you are dismissive of God. And that is a very dangerous place to be. You're lost and you need Him. You might have been around church for a long time and you don't appreciate grace. You abuse, you abuse it for pleasure or to make others feel small. You take the idea of grace and you think, oh, well, you know, I'll compromise with myself this time. It's not that big of a deal. God's covered all my sins, right? I'm forgiven, right? I got baptized when I was a kid, so it's not that big of a deal, right? God's got me. He understands that everybody experiments in the 20s. It's fine. God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. If you call yourself a child of God and you don't appreciate grace, you need to repent. You need to turn from your pride and you need to make it right with God. Because it's not just that he died for you, it's that there is so much more out there and you are turning your back on it. That you're choosing the wickedness of this world, these worldly things, to, 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 to play around and to have some temporary pleasure and yet, you're missing out on an eternal perspective of life. Man. Young people, hear me. There is so much more. There is so much more than chasing pleasure. So much. You can drink all you want. You can have sex with as many people as you want. You can be in as many uncommitted relationships as you want. But all of it is empty. All of it is empty. And until you understand grace... You don't understand. Some of you, I know that you have been faithful. That you've been leaning into obedience and God has been, has been showing you not just how great He is and how gracious He is, but also how far He has taken you from your wickedness. I want to encourage you to lean into that. Lean into that righteousness. Lean into that teachable spirit. Lean into that radical humility. And understand that God has something incredible for you. One of the frustrations of being in your 20s is that your body seems to be working against you all the time. It is so irritating. Oh my gosh, it's irritating. As you get older, your body begins to even out. And the things that were pleasurable to you in your 20s tend to lose their shine. That is true. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because Jesus is saying, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. 30 more seconds. I know that I, 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 this has wrecked me. I've been in this for a week now, a week and a half, and I just... Y'all, 
just the simple two words. That He gave Himself that He might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good works, passionate about being children of heaven. This is the opportunity that we have in front of us to experience the fullness of God. And I don't know where you, where you guys are, some of you. I've spent time with some of you, but I know that some of you are struggling. And I want to give you a chance just to do some business with God. I'm going to ask Andrew to come up here and play a little bit. We're not going to be here for a long time. There is a sense of urgency for us to be obedient in the moment. Now, it could be, like I said before, you don't know Jesus. All this stuff is foreign to you, or maybe you've known it all your life and you actually haven't ever submitted yourself to Him. You've got a proud and arrogant spirit about you and you don't care. I'm calling you out. The most profound thing that you can do with your life is to live the way that God designed you to live, and that's the way that He has made you to be a child of heaven. If you have grown up in church and you have been playing with the world, I want to challenge you to make it right. It is never too late, never, to be right with God. I have gone through my own series of season of rebellion. I know that many of you also have. And that there is room at the cross. No matter how many times you've been there, you have been faithful. Don't give up. We will bear fruit if we do not lose heart. Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and a sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.